I am just really proud uh, to introduce Victoria Lawson today. Uh, Victoria is a recent Sanford graduate, was a pre-men scholar, just as Anna Osment uh, was. And uh, Victoria, it really is one of my, well, just like Anna, she's one of my, my favorite students ever to go through that program. She hails from Catherine, Al- how many of y'all know where Catherine, Alabama is? Okay, okay. It's you too, congrats. Uh, we'll get a door prize for you later on. Uh, down in, is, where are you, Victoria? Wilcox County, is that my right? Yeah. And she just came to Sanford and was just an amazing student. Uh, she has received a full scholarship to McAfee School of Theology. They don't give out many full rides, but she is most deserving of it. She's just a remarkable person. She's easily one of the best preaching students I've had over the years in preaching class specifically. In fact, I've told her if she wanted to do the doctorate, she'd be a great preaching professor someday. She's just amazing. Now, I'm, a lot of pressure on you now with this big buildup, but uh, uh, she's going to come share about how God has been there for her uh, in times of challenge, and uh, uh, we look forward to hearing from her, and maybe if, if we're very attentive, she might sing just a few lines of something. So come on up, Victoria. Let's welcome Victoria. I'm so sorry, I didn't bring door prizes, so yeah, maybe next time. Um, I'm so excited to be here with y'all this morning, um, and every time I come here, I'm just, I'm just excited, and anytime I'm up here, I'm especially excited, and my only other prayer, other than Lord speak through me, is God, please don't let my phone decide to make a joyful noise while I'm here. So... <laughs> Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to share with you guys this morning a little bit of my experience with grace along my journey so far. Um, And I brought some notes just because I will veer off into the wilderness sometimes. So um, so five years ago, I found myself in my car driving home uh, from work. I worked at Zaxby's at the time. And I was driving home in the open roads of Catherine, Alabama. There's no stop signs. There's no lights. So it's just me and the good Lord. And I'm driving, and I decide to have an honest conversation with God. I say, okay, God, it's just me and you. We need to talk. What are you doing? What's going on? This isn't what we talked about. Because about three weeks prior to that, I had just dropped all of my nursing classes with a year and a half left of nursing school. And to my parents' surprise, I was surprisingly calm about it. They were thinking, what are you doing? And I just knew at that moment, I said, God, this isn't, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. What are you doing? I said, God, why would you even let me go through nursing school? You know, of all people, that this has nothing to do with where I want to be in life. What was the point of all of that? And I was so frustrated. And a lot of times we don't get frustrated until we've invested something and we don't see a return on it. And I was so frustrated because I'd invested all of this time and God said, no, this isn't where I want you to be. And so with that, he told me as I turned my Toyota onto our little dirt road, he said, the faith that you use to drop those nursing classes is going to be the same faith that you're going to need in this next season of life. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, where are you going with this, God? Little did I know about 10 months later, I pack up most of my things and I move to Georgia because I just wanted to sing. So I found myself there and I'm like, oh, okay, now I got it. So about four years ago, I found myself sitting in my closet 
while I was living in Georgia, literally in the dark, crying. Uh, God, what is going on? Again, this isn't what we talked about. I don't know where you're going with this. You're going to have to explain something to me because I'm just, I'm not getting it. And I sat there and I cried and I said, God, I feel so purposeless here. I'm literally just working, going to church and trying to make it to the gym when I can. My mom would just call that adulting. But for me, I just felt like, God, this is so purposeless. I feel like I'm going nowhere. And he says, no, there's a purpose. There's a reason as to why you're here during this time. I was with my aunt. She had just gone through a divorce. She had just lost her mom. And I didn't see it at the time, but I was like, oh, well, maybe, just maybe this whole transition to Georgia wasn't about me. Maybe it was about me being here for her. Fast forward about two years ago, I find myself sitting on the couch next to my mom with tears welling up in my eyes. I was trying to get started at Sanford, and one of the loans just would not cooperate, you guys. It just did not want to work for me. And I sat there and I cried, and my mom said, it's going to be, it's going to be okay, darling. And so as I look back, I don't know if you guys ever noticed this, but if you're coming from Atlanta, coming to Birmingham, there's a view of the city that you can only get on that route. The city is a beautiful place, just as Birmingham is, but when you're leaving, it's the most incredible view, and you can only get that view as you leave the city. And I said that to say that sometimes in life, we can only see the beauty of things on the outskirts of it. Sometimes in life, we can only see the point and the purpose of things after we've come out of it. And a lot of times in those dark places, as I sat there, drove home frustrated with God in the dark, as I sat in my closet in the dark, as I sat there with my mom trying to figure out what we were going to do about school, as I sat there in the dark, I began to think, God, I didn't see it at the time, but you were, you were working. You were doing something. And a lot of times in those dark places, we think, oh, my goodness, this is the final curtain call. But God says, no, it's just an, an intermission, and you're going through a transition. And a lot of times we also think when we don't hear the music in our lives, we go, oh, God, the song is over. I got I to gotta fix it. I got to do something. God says, no, it's just a rest. And we need those rests to make the melody even more beautiful. And a lot of times when we're sitting there and we think, God, why are you making things so difficult? And we think so foolishly that we've been buried. But God says, no, no, honey, I I didn't bury you. I planted you. So things are normally working even when we don't see it. And those places of transition and, and those places of transformation and those places of growth are really necessary. And as I sat there and I thought about it, I said, well, God, why did you need me to have that experience in my car? He says, because I needed you to trust me. Because had you not trust me to drop those classes, you never would have packed up and moved to Georgia. And if you never packed up and moved to Georgia, you would have never got those experiences with your aunt where she asked you every day, honey, are you sure you don't want to go back to school? And I would reply, nope, I'm positive. And had you not listened to her and, and been in that place of quietness and still where you can hear God's voice to say, I think you ought to be at Sanford. And had those loans went through, the Lord said, you know what, you didn't need those high interest rates anyway. So that worked out. And so, so often we don't see things as God see it. We, sees it. we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see how things are going to work out. But he always has a great plan for us. And he says, I'm walking with you, even in this dark place, even in this place where you don't understand, even in this place where you don't see. He says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. He didn't say, I'll show up if you maybe call on me or 
if you need me, just throw your hand in the air and maybe I'll pop up. But he says, I am with you through all of that. And that's what's so amazing, I think, about grace is the fact that we can believe in what he tells us, that even in those dark places, he's with us and he's, he's not going to leave us because he loves us just that much. Um, so I'd like to sing, if it's okay with you, just a little bit of um, this song, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound it saved a wretch like me. Scripture reading this morning is Psalm 142. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 446, or you may follow along in the bulletin as I read along. Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him, and I tell him my troubles. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I'm very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. This is the word of the Lord. This is the next to the last in a series entitled Raw Prayers. Psalms that move us from hurt to hope. I have really appreciated your response uh, to these, and it confirms to me again that we all uh, get to points of praying rather raw, intense prayers to God, which God blesses and understands. We've talked about bitterness and despair. Last week we talked about the raw prayer of guilt that David prayed. 
This morning, we're talking about praying our loneliness from Psalm 142. And the more I studied this, I thought we could title it Praying Our Way Out of the Cave. Praying Our Way Out of the Cave. Speaking of caves, we were all riveted by the situation with the Thai boys soccer team as they were trapped in that cave and how they got out successfully. And one of the great stories was how they bonded together, uh, meditated together, encouraged one another, and just wound up being this galvanized group of, of team that got out together. They really rallied and made it out together. And it reminded me of a subplot to that entire story that had to do with a guy named Elon Musk. You've probably heard of him. He's a tech entrepreneur and inventor. Fascinating guy. Uh, He offered his mini-submarine to help get them out. Some of you know that story. And it was rather flatly rejected and almost ridiculed by some people. And it reminded me of a recent interview in Rolling Stone magazine that that, uh, where they interviewed Elon Musk, Uh, And and I wanted to talk about that for just a moment. Now, this is a guy, one of the only people in the world who has started four separate billion-dollar companies. Think about that. Four separate billion-dollar companies. But at the time of this interview with Neil Strauss in Rolling Stone, 46-year-old Elon Musk talked a lot just about how lonely he was. Uh, He had gone through a divorce. He had broken up with a girlfriend more recently. And he just lamented about how he had no one to share his life with. He said, being in a big empty house and no footsteps echoing through the hallways, no one over here. How do you make yourself happy in a situation like that? And, and Strauss kept writing, li- listening and writing, and, and I wanted to show you just this part of the interview. And, and Musk says this, when I was a child, there was one thing I said. Musk continues, His demeanor is stiff, yet in the sheen of his eyes and the trembling of his lips, a high tide of emotion is visible, pushing against the retaining walls. I never want to be alone. That's what I would say. His voice drops to a whisper. I don't want to be alone. And right after that, this is what Strauss writes as he observes. He says, a ring of red forms around his eyes as he stares forward and sits frozen in silence. Musk is a titan, a visionary, a human-sized lever pushing forward massive historical inevitabilities, the kind of person who comes around only a few times in a century, but in this moment, he seems like a child who is afraid of abandonment. He is lonely. And I thought about that irony. As you reflect on it with, with, with Psalm 142 by David, here are these Thai boys who were trapped in a cave, literally trapped in a cave, but they bond together, and they have one another, they rely on one another, and they get out successfully. And, and here's Elon Musk offering this, this amazing invention of a submarine to get them out, this multi-billionaire, and he's offering rescue, but ironically, he's the lonely one. This multi-billionaire is in his own lonely cave. And then there's the crown prince of the kingdom of Israel, David, who finds himself in a cave and lonely. Psalm 142. And again, as we read earlier, it was written when David was in the cave. What cave was it? It was the cave of Adullam. It's talked about uh, in 1 Samuel 22. This is when David is feeling cornered and alone because Saul, in his jealousy of David, tries to kill him, and David flees. 
and finds himself in the cave of Adullam. And he's not just in this cave, literally, he is spiritually and emotionally in a cave. He's really psychologically in a foggy bank. His, his tank is empty. He's uncertain about the future. He's trying to find hope, but it's difficult to find right now. And he feels utterly alone. Let's just look at verses 4 and 6 here. He says, I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. This is a raw psalm. Hear my cry, for I am very low. It literally means I have sunk very low. He feels utterly alone. David prayed this psalm when he wanted so badly to get out of this cave. And it can be our prayer too. It can be your prayer and my prayer when we find ourselves in a cave and we're feeling alienated for some reason, isolated, alone. How do we get out of that cave? How do we begin to move out of the cave? Well, first, prayer that moves us out of the cave, and you can follow along in your outline if you like. Prayer that moves us out of the cave is, first of all, prayer that voices. Look at verses 1 and 2. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. And I've kind of color-coded two things. First of all, the verbs here. I cry out. That literally means I cry out with my voice. I cry out. I plead. I pour out. I tell him. And it's always directed at the same target. I cry out with my voice to the Lord. I plead with my voice for the Lord's mercy. I pour out in a way that I verbalize before him. I tell him. I tell him verbally. It means to voice your prayer. Now, there's a place for silent prayer. We begin uh, our services with a discipline of silence, and we're being reflective and contemplative and being uh, uh, ready for the service. But sometimes you need to pull an audible, right? Uh, were, were you blessed at all by what Victoria had to say earlier? Were you blessed by that at all? Yeah. Oh, oh there we go again. Go ahead. When I make a good point up here, you know, you no, don't, don't, don't do that. But I loved what you said, Victoria, because you were driving along and you were voicing that prayer. The vast majority of prayers that you read in Scripture are audibles. <laughs> they are spoken. And there's a place for quiet, contemplative prayer, but there are times when you need to get out of a cave because you're finding yourself steeped in a cave and trapped in a cave. You, he wants to hear it. And it helps you to lift your voice to him. I'm reminded of a, of a sermon by perhaps the greatest preacher of the Western world uh, in, in history, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, whom you've heard of. He did a sermon on Psalm 142 once, and this is a man who was such an incredible pulpiteer who at the same time regularly, he would tell you, weekly battled the cave of severe depression throughout his life. And he said this, It is not a pleasant thing being in a spiritual, emotional cave. But caves are effective classrooms in the school of faith and prayer. Indeed, the caves have heard the best prayers. I love that. The caves have heard the best prayers. When we are at those moments when we're feeling cornered and alone and we voice those prayers, you know oftentimes that's the best time for us to pray because we realize God really is our only ultimate refuge. So David you know, pours out his prayers like, like liquid before the feet of our God. Sometimes you just got to tell him verbally. So prayer that begins 
to get us out of the cave is prayers that we verbalize directly to the loving Father. But secondly, prayer that moves us out of the cave is prayer that trusts. And Victoria talked about this as well. Let's look at verse 3. When I am overwhelmed, you alone, that's so true, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps before me. Let's talk about the latter part of that verse first. What is an enemy right now for you that makes you feel cornered and alone? Is it a crisis you're facing? Is it a financial issue? Is it a relational problem or issue with family? Is it because you're not in close proximity to someone whom you really, really miss? Is it grief over having lost someone? Grief of something not being the same as it was. And David says, I'm overwhelmed. It's interesting, there's one other place in Scripture where this Hebrew word is used, and it's used in Jonah 2, verse 7, when Jonah is in the belly of the fish. And he's overwhelmed, but he says, I am overwhelmed, but you are with me. When I am overwhelmed, I will remember you. That's the one other place. And you talked about someone being (laughs) isolated in the dark and alone. And David, as well, trusts that God is there with him in the dark. In fact, it says what? When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should go. That, That word way in Hebrew is very rich. And it's talking about the way of your entire journey. Where you have been, where you are now, where you are heading, past, present, and future. You alone know the full way of the journey on which I find myself. So again, he is the one solely in whom you need to put your trust. Now the key is obviously at those moments when you're feeling overwhelmed in a cave, stop and be still and trust that he is God. And he will meet you where you are. Sometimes, and we are fix-it people, as you know, we want to kind of scramble upward and try to find God up there and kind of do it on our, our timeline and our time zone and not on God's. But what we've got to do is trust that he's going to come down and reach us where we are. Find us where we are. Uh, Theodore Kyle tells a story of a dear friend of his, a woman whose husband had died recently, and she'd had some family issues with other people, and it just felt very alienated from a lot of people, and she wound up moving away from her town, from her church, and wound up uh, living in what I guess you could call a summer house near a coast, and she had one of those great rooms that, that had windows way up, you know, toward the ceiling, and she was sitting in that great room one day, and a bird flew in, and, and the bird, when it realized that it was, it was caged in, in a sense, started you know, flying around and just flying into each window that was up there and just wounding itself and continuing. Just every one it flew in to, to try to escape, to find freedom. And so she went over to the back door and opened it, and, and it still was just up there, not realizing the place to escape was down here. And finally, she actually started talking to the bird, saying, hey, down here, <laughs> Come down here. This is the way to go, you poor thing. You're you're, you're hurting yourself. Just come down. Here's the way out right down here. Finally, the bird was so exhausted, it started just moving down just simply because of exhaustion, but found that door and finally left for freedom. And she closed the door, and she said there was this overwhelming sense of peace at that moment where God was telling her something, and she realized, you know, I'm like that bird With my pride, I have been trying to scramble upward and find the way out of this cave, 
in a way that's on my timeline, with my skills, with the way that I've always handled things so efficiently. And she said, you know, the door is probably closer down to me, beside me, in me. I need to simply trust that he will meet me where I am. Said a whole new meaning came to me for Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and what? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your way, your path, all of it. So there's prayer that voices, verbalizes that gets you out of the cave and prayer that trusts that begins you to move out of the cave. But there's a third one that helps you move out of the cave and it's prayer that advances. Prayer that advances. Look at verses 4 and 5. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. We read that earlier. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. But then, then the word of faith comes along. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. Some of us remember this as you are my portion, old translations. You are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. He's getting to a place where he is advancing forward, not retreating in an escapist fashion, but moving forward in faith. It's not a retreat, it's an advance. My friend Leonard Sweet, who's a wonderful uh, Methodist uh, speaker and uh, retreat leader, he has retreats all over the nation all the time, but he doesn't call them retreats, he calls them advances. We're going to have a, a, an advance down at Panama City, or whatever it might be. We're going to have an advance, and I like that. You know, we don't retreat to God for refuge, but we advance to him. You know, that's what David did. He was proactive in trusting that God's going to be his place of refuge. And when he did that, he was ready to get up and get out of the cave in the isolation and the darkness. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we don't see the blessing of being in a spiritual cave. Sometimes we're blessed to be there. And I'm not trying to just rose-colored glasses it not at all there's a blessing there because it forces us to realize that god alone is our refuge and our strength and the one who can guide us out it's the very place where we can begin to advance forward now i don't spend all my time reading rolling stone magazine but i found a different article and it was about a guy named bono how many of y'all have heard of bono before he's a uh, rock star with you too humanitarian guy and there was a 2017 uh, interview with Bono, and, and really it talked a lot about his uh, two brushes with death that he had last year and how interesting it was that the uh, most recent uh, U2 album at the time really had to do a lot with mortality. And it was an interesting interview, and I think he's such a cool guy anyway, and he is a believer. And there was a point where the interviewer asked him, you know, how did your faith help you through all of this? How did your faith help? And he talked about, oh, I read the Psalms. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. He said, I read the Psalms all the time. And he says, I swear, he says, David is the first bluesman, which I like. I thought that was cool. But he talks about how, how David was the first one to author these raw prayers. And then he talks specifically in this Rolling Stone interview about Psalm 142. And he talks about David fleeing Saul and winding up in the cave. And he said this, and I, I thought this was great. Uh, Bono said, in the darkness of that cave... And the silence and the fear and probably the stink. He writes the psalm. And then he applies it to himself. He says, as an artist, I have learned that sometimes you have to be in that cave of despair to be inspired, enlightened, and energized toward a new birth in your life. Bono's right with that, and he's also quite biblical on that. 
sometimes that's where we have to get to is in the crucible of a cave for God to bring us to the place where we need to truly be with him. And think about that. You've got that recorded all through Scripture itself. Moses on the other side of that mountain all by himself. You've got Elijah in his own cave. You've got Job surrounded by so-called friends, but he's really all alone because they don't understand him. You've got the Apostle Paul all alone quite often in a deep, dark cell. And obviously, you've got Jesus all alone in Gethsemane. Jesus all alone in that sense of abandonment on the cross. And yet, for every one of them, their greatest triumph was after being in one of those isolated caves. Someone said there are lessons that are learned in the dark that cannot be learned in the light. And I think that's so right. Because that's when we learn that God is really our only only refuge our only ultimate place and person to work us through the cave and if we grasp that reality we begin to move out and finally prayer that moves us out of the cave is prayer that anticipates let's look at uh, verses six and seven hear my cry for i am very low rescue me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. That's really a word of faith there. And then I love this. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. The godly will crowd around me. He's envisioning the victory. He realizes he'll get through the cave, and out of that he's going to become stronger, and he will give thanks to God, and he will celebrate the victory with the godly who are around him. Who was that? Well, for David, it was the kingdom of Israel. For you and me, it's the kingdom of Christ's church. And it reminds us that really what we are called to do, especially when we are stronger having come out of the cave, we look for the people, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, we look for those who are weaker in the church at a given moment for some reason because of something they're going through, and we help bring them out of the cave. We help lift them out of their own darkness. It's a powerful kind of image of that. I don't know how many of y'all remember in Panama City Beach where the youth have just come back from. Last year, there were two boys that got caught in a rip current, and it was pulling them out, and the mother saw it, and she went out to try to rescue them, and then she panicked, and people were standing there wondering what they should do. Did anybody remember what what happened? It's just really cool, and I've got it on video. It's extraordinary video, as complete strangers band together into a human chain to come to the rescue of a family caught in a riptide. The water, when it starts going around, there's nothing that can save you. 80, yes, 80 beachgoers rushed into the water and joined hands when they heard the cries for help. It happened on a beautiful beach day in Panama City, Florida, on the Gulf Coast. A young mother of four was enjoying a day at the beach when she saw two of her boys out in the water screaming for help. They were caught in a deadly riptide. Mom bravely swam to their rescue, but she got caught in the riptide as well. So did the boy's grandmother. Others tried to help. Altogether, nine people were in danger of drowning. The chain started in very shallow water close to shore. It went on for 300 feet in water about 15 feet deep. Jessica Simmons was having dinner on the beach when she heard the cries. I was like, I can help these people. I grabbed a a man's hand, another man, I don't even know who they were, (laughs) and I grabbed their hands and just pulled pulled the last girl in. You can see someone exhausted being carried out of the water. Bystanders on the beach erupted in cheers when the last person was rescued. 
I love that story. Uh, I love this picture of it. But again, 80 people daring to, to get into those turbulent waters to save those people. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's, that's an image of the church. You know, whether there are people who are, uh, who are floundering in, in turbulent waters or are just feeling isolated in a cave, that's what we do is chain up together and dare to go out further to the fringes. Much of what we do in mission work, where we go to parts of the world, whether it's close by or miles and miles away, and we link together and go out to the scarier places because some of our brothers and sisters are there in those dark places and they need us, whether it's in turbulent waters or a deep, dark cave. Paul says that we are co-laborers with Christ. So we join him as we enter the caves of those who are going through difficulty. I'd like to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and engage with me just a moment in a discipline of meditation. And I want to ask you this, and this is just between you and God. You're not going to have to verbalize it and voice it, but let me just ask you, what is your cave of loneliness right now? Or it might be your cave of trial or a cave of despair. What are you facing right now that can bring you down, can depress you, causes perhaps anxiety. Sometimes it makes you feel like you're the only one who's ever suffered it or gone through it or struggled with it. It could be some sin, which sin itself is such, such an isolating force, not just from God, but often from others. Whatever it might be, the cave that is challenging you right now, will you lift up whatever that is Voice it, but voice it silently to God right now. Lord, it's hard finding ourselves dealing with those dark places within ourselves. It's difficult when some external circumstance has really thrown us into what feels like a dark pit. We pray especially for those right now who feel like they are there, whether it's because of a a health issue, a loss, a struggle, a crisis. We lift all of these up to you, O God, and pray that we can trust ourselves that your spirit will empower us all the more as the choir sang, that how the Spirit can listen to our hearts. May we do that with one another and be prepared to lift each other up when we find ourselves in those caves. We thank you for this time together and anticipate, just as David did, that we will have a chance one day to thank you for being there with us in the cave and pulling us out. We pray these things in your name. Amen.